Talk station, number one talk station, voiceamerica.com. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, and what a great show we have today. I have with me today the executive director and a board member of the prestigious Abret organization, which, if you're not familiar with Abret, it stands for the American Board of Registration of Electroencephalographic and Evoked Potential Technologists. That's why on this show we'll call it the Abret organization, so you know what we're talking about. And today, both Janice Walbert and Lewis Call are with us, Janice and Lewis, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you, Joyce. Thrilled to be here. And I also want to mention that I have joined the Abred organization as a board member, and I'm very excited about this because, as you all know, I am a woman with epilepsy and a hearing loss, but I do recall the very first time that I had um, the EEG examination and the procedure you go through and I know that Abred has worked very hard to improve quality across the board, which we'll be talking about today. So that's why I'm so excited to have them with us on the show. But we'll start with you, Janice, and then I'll and then you, Lewis. But Janice, how about you? How did you get involved with Abred? How did that happen? Well, um, throughout my career in EEG and electroneurodiagnostic technology, which we call um, EEG falls under now. It's an umbrella term to encompass neurodiagnostic procedures um, that technologists are, are um, involved with. But I was involved with state and regional and eventually national organizations throughout my career. So I valued that learning, um, those learning opportunities I received through the organizations when I was a new technologist. And I continued to participate and in time, became involved in leadership capacities. Um, as technologists, we strive to earn our credentials through the National Credentialing Board, ABRET. So I've always been aware of ABRET, but I believe my connections with various professional organizations provided the opportunity um, for me to be nominated and elected to the ABRET Board of Directors in the mid-1990s. Um, and I served on the board then um, and then eventually as president of the board for three years. Um, and in my final year, actually as ex officio, the Abbott executive director decided to retire, and I had been involved um, in my career in, in, in educating EEG technologists for 17 years, and I was ready for a change. I valued Abbott. I loved their mission, so I applied for the position of the Abbott executive director, and I am completing my sixth year in this position. Hey, congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. Well, we're very happy to have you. Now, how about you, Lewis? How did you get involved with that, Brett? Well, it very much parallels about what Janice's experience was. I um, got uh, into uh, EEG technology very young age, two weeks after I graduated from high school at the age of 18, and uh, was not really expecting it to be a career, more just a stepping stone to other things. However, fell in love with uh, EEG technology as it was at the time, 
and then throughout the years continued to try to um, enhance and uh, better my skills and looked for various types of uh, various ways to do that and uh, meeting with different organizations and going to different meetings and so forth along the way um, uh, the Abbrett organization was established uh, and um, I watched this for a number of years and then saw that it was the premier way to uh, gain uh, credentialing within the field that we're in. So I uh, got involved with Abret, uh, took my board exams uh, uh, and then uh, later on, much like Janice, got into leadership positions and was elected to the Abret board um, in 1989 for the first time and served six years on the board at that time and then uh, went off the board in 1996 and was re-elected to the board again in 2006. Um, so uh, this is my second term on the board. Um, but it's an exciting board to be a member of. It, uh, it's always been very, very dear and close to my heart and I think that it's uh, probably one of the, the, the premier things that I've done in my professional career. Okay, well, here's a question then for you, Lewis, specifically from a teacher in Pennsylvania. And the question is, um, I think it's wonderful to see people working in volunteer positions with various organizations such as Abret. What do you think we can do to get more young people to want to work as volunteers? Well, that's a really, really good question because... Um, <clears throat> Uh, we are in a healthcare field that is going through tremendous need right now. Like with all of the allied health professions, there's a huge shortage of technologists for, um, clinical, in the field of clinical neurophysiology and electroneurodiagnostics. Um, we are in the process of growth at a tremendous level in the educational programs. However, that's been a little slow. So we are right now trying to do as much marketing as possible to, and especially to high school students and to those who are looking for careers. Electroneurodiagnostic technology and clinical neurophysiology technology has become a true profession and it is a true career path. Um, unlike many years ago when it was like when I entered the field, it was more of a stepping stone, but now it is really an exciting allied health profession. So we're trying to reach out um, through uh, many of the organizations of the profession to try to engage high school students and college students um, to consider uh, electroneurodiagnostic technology as a career. And I wonder if you, if you don't mind, could you just take a couple of minutes and explain to our listeners throughout the world what what does that mean? What would you be doing in that field? Um, electroneurodiagnostic technology is changed tremendously over the years. It used to be EEG technology, but now encompasses many, many things, and it's become much more sophisticated. Um, technologists that work in this field do many different kinds of things, from routine EEG examinations, very much like what you described earlier, Joyce, that you've had in your past, um, to uh, intraoperative neurophysiological monitoring, which is one of the fastest-growing aspects of uh, uh, clinical neurophysiology technology, Polysomnography is also sleep studies, um, epilepsy monitoring, um, clinical evoked potentials. Uh, it's, there's a whole there's a whole spectrum of of allied health electroneurodiagnostic testing procedures that technologists perform these days. Um, and um, as I said earlier, it truly is a wide open profession. There's people in this field that are uh, doing research in both clinical and basic science areas. There's technologists employed in, in hospitals and clinics, and technologists employed in, in the teaching, in teaching and education of other of these programs. 
uh, technologists uh, employed by pharmaceutical companies, uh, man, uh, clinic, uh, manufacturers of equipment. Um, there's just so many, uh, administration, there are so many different uh, arms of this profession that make it exciting. And this profession, is all of this centered around epilepsy or is it other disabilities also? No, it's um, basically the EEG and clinical neurophysiology testing procedures can be used for a whole gamut of neurological disorders and, and the diagnosis monitoring of, uh, of neurological disorders and, and changes in functions from peripheral uh, neurological disease to central neurological disease. And what is the what is the education required to do this? Um, there are several ways to acquire education. Um, the preferred method, the preferred pathway right now, is through um, a, a two-year college program. There are several of these that many of these that are available right now um, across the country. That's the preferred entry level to the um, to the profession right now. is a two-year uh, associate's degree program. However, there are other other ways of training as well. Um, the, um, uh, the American Society of Electroneurodiagnostic Technologists has become very, very instrumental in, um, in uh, 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 providing uh, very, uh, very good information on how to get into these training programs. You know what? I mean, I just think that is awesome. That is really awesome. That is... And, you know, that's an exciting field that I really believe a lot of young people aren't familiar with. And what a great profession to go into. And, and by the way, if you want to know more about this, you can find out more about this from Abrut. Isn't that right, Janice? Um, certainly. You can contact me. We have a website, abret.org. Or we also have a professional organization, which Lou mentioned, Asset. That is our membership organization, and they do the education and continuing education in our field, and they have a website, ASET.org. ASET.org. Mm -hmm. And what is the website for a Brett? ABRET.org. ABRET.org. Yeah, I think this is awesome. I think that, you know, more and more schools, high schools, colleges should inform people about these other opportunities because I know I speak across the United States and I know that this is a field that many people are not aware about. Why do you think that is, Lewis? Well, I think that when people think of allied health uh, professions, they think, first of all, of nursing followed by, you know, maybe radiology or imaging, maybe uh, uh, respiratory therapy, clinical uh, laboratory technology or whatever, and there's, there's just not a high exposure of what we do. I think that's changing, and I think there's more becoming more exposure to what uh, electroneurodiagnostic technologists actually do. Um, so we're in the process of doing tremendous marketing on putting this out there. We would love to be invited to um, career days um, at uh, schools and uh, organizations and colleges and so forth, uh, and we're trying to to get into that, to do that uh, at this time. And when you do these presentations, do people go from a Brett or from uh, the other organization that you mentioned, Janet? Um, I think it's a combination. A lot of the allied health um, END programs that are um, already functioning, they'll, they'll do a lot of... Um, community service and um, activities to increase awareness and um, a 
attract students in their areas. So a lot of those um, technologists, they're involved with, involved with both of our organizations. Yeah, and you know what? I, for one, will make sure that any conferences or career fairs I know about, that I will tell them about you because... Once again, this is another great opportunity and great field where we need people that truly care and are leaders and can make a difference in this country. Mm -hmm. If you just joined us right now, we are talking to Janice Walbert, who is the executive director of a Brett and board member, Lewis Call. And we are talking about a Brett's work in the United States a group I'm now on the board of that I'm proud to be involved with. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com, where disability matters. We'll be right back. Don't go away. We'll be back with Janice and Lewis after the break. Have you ever thought about having your own Internet talk show? Well, if you said yes, then click About Us. Then click Be a Host to get more information. Or just call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Say that again? 480-294-6417. VoiceAmerica.com. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice, what if something happens? Will you come get me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back, and if you're listening to the show, let me clue you into a little secret. Don't know when, don't know what month, but we are working on getting the presidential candidates on this show, and may I tell you, because we're bipartisan, we're inviting them all. So keep tuned in to Voice America. Uh, we will advertise that way ahead of time so you'll know. But you know, we need a president that cares about disability. Now, I'm going to be saying this on every show, so let me remind you, register to vote. I do not care if you vote Republican or Democrat. I care that you vote. Vote. Remember what Justin Dart said. Vote as if your life depends upon it, because it probably does. So get out there and vote. 
But right now, talking about disability, this is very near and dear to my heart, epilepsy, as I am a woman with epilepsy. And as I mentioned earlier, Janice and Lewis, I knew very well what this was all about, as I have had several EEGs in the past. If you've never had one, you know, it's a little bit nerve-wracking at the beginning. It's a little bit different, but I have to tell you that it really is not harmful you know, in any way, I think it's more the shock of finding out you have epilepsy and you know that you have to go get this test. Um, but a lot of people are afraid of having this. And I don't, you know, I, I guess it, again, is probably just because of the realization that you have um, epilepsy. But, Lewis, I'll ask you, you know, why do you think people are so afraid and what do you think we can do to change that? Well, actually, the EEG that's used um, uh, to diagnose epilepsy is a very simple test for the patient. Um, it's uh, the process is is simply that the patient comes into the laboratory. They have a number of electrodes applied uh, to their to their head, and um, then they just have to relax. They it's a very easy process for them. What the EEG does is it measures the electrical activity and the function of the brain through the electrical activity of the patient's brain. And it's a very valuable test, and it's a very um, necessary test to try to diagnose patients with seizure disorders and epilepsy. Um, it, uh, it helps to distinguish the various type of epilepsy that somebody might have, and also it's used to monitor the patient um, if they're put on any kind of medication process, just to make sure their medications are working, um, there may be a need for change of medication based on their electrical activity of their brain and so forth and so on. It's very simple, though. Um, during the testing procedure, the patient may be asked to do some deep breathing. Um, there may be a, a, a um, strobe light that's flashed in front of the patient's eyes. These are all parts of the test. I think it's frightening because there are many types of movies and, and uh, media has produced over the years various kinds of things about the brain that kind of frighten people. And so many times when you come to a patient and you show them a handful of these electrodes, they have many, many flashbacks to some of these movies or books or whatever that have portrayed various kinds of things that can be done uh, in the, um, the uh, Hollywood laboratory and so forth, and that's just not true. Uh, we're not able to, think, uh, to find out what you're thinking. We have no, uh, there, there's no way the EEG does that. Um, they're not involved. Uh, we're not using the EEG for any of, of mind-thought kind of stuff. It's not any of that at all. It's just simply to look at the electrical function of the brain to diagnose, to help the physician diagnose and treat the problem, the neurological problem the patient is having. And how about you, Janice? Do you have any other comments about that? Um, no, I think Lou did a good job. There's a lot of misconceptions, and those um, a lot of times equal fear. It's not a painful procedure unless you, unless you have a really tender scalp. <laughs> um, but it's it really it doesn't put anything into your head or shock you. We're not going to shave your head. Um, things you know, just a lot of um, misconceptions that we have to clear up. Um, I think your technologist should explain everything to you, and ideally there's literature handed out at the doctor's office, although many times I know that doesn't happen, um, but there may be some in the waiting room at the EEG uh, department. Um, there's information on various websites, Epilepsy Foundation for one. So um, there is information to uh, for people that are getting uh, ready or prepared to have an EEG so they can get a little heads up. Yeah, and, and, you know, I want to tell you, I've had these several times, 
They're not painful. They don't hurt. You know, it really, you know, it is the worst thing that's going to happen is you have to, because they put this stuff in your hair that you'll want to go home and wash your hair afterwards. But other than that, I mean, it really isn't. But see, also, if you're listening to the show and you're thinking of a profession, this is why it's also such a great profession. Here you are able to do something where you can really help people that are already nervous dealing with the stigma attached to epilepsy. Although, as you mentioned, this is used for other neurological disorders also. No matter what it is at the beginning, you know, it's normal to just be afraid or be nervous, but I'm telling you, it is no big deal. I know I've had it done. It really is uh, no big deal. Um, Basically, explain to our listeners, Lewis, what that does. What happens when you have an EEG? Well, there's a um, the EEG is recorded over approximately 30 minutes, and there's a, a an, an instrument. Usually, it's a computer instrument now, which records all of that electrical activity and displays it on a screen, so that the um, the technologist can evaluate um, what is happening with the brain waves at that time. It's also simultaneously recorded onto some kind of a uh, of a device within the computer. There are many different places that can be stored um, so that the physician can later on look at it. So the technologist looks at the, at the brain waves as they're coming across the screen over real time, makes some decisions on what they might need to do to their instrument to, um, to uh, enhance some of the activity, um, uh, to make notes about what the patient is doing during certain uh, types of activity. Um, usually in the routine EEG, we want the patient to go to sleep, um, so we, the technologist tries to get the patient to sleep and then notes that on the recording. Um, so it's a the technologist is watching this the, these brain waves as they're going real time uh, from the patient's uh, brain uh, onto the um, computer. And what, why do they want you to sleep, Lou? Can you explain that to everyone? Sure. The EEG changes um, from uh, its appearance from waking to sleep. Uh, there are different kinds of waveforms that we can see in the sleep recording that we may not be able to see in the waking recording and vice versa. And many times when the patient falls asleep, we can detect things that we may not see in the waking record. So it's really important, and especially for patients with seizure disorders, that we uh, get them to sleep and that they, we only need about five or ten minutes of sleep for the most part for the routine EEG. Um, but it is a very significant part of the, re, of the uh, process. So what the technologist attempts to do is to uh, try to get the patient into natural sleep, and um, sometimes that may take a while. Most patients, you know, uh, once they're familiar with the testing process and they're comfortable with it, they just lay down on the bed and they're, they're gone. They're out in five or ten minutes. Sometimes we have to wait a little bit longer, um, but the primary thing that the, the uh, technologist will try to do is to get the patient to sleep because it does change the EEG. And when they're looking at that chart, how do they know? What do they see when the person has epilepsy? Well, the brain waves may look different um, for patients that have uh, certain seizure disorders, and there are different kinds of seizure disorders that present with different types of brain wave patterns. So they're looking to detect those, highlight those for the physician to look at later on. Now, it's also it should be understood that many patients with epilepsy may have just a normal EEG. That's perfectly um, uh, that's that's the uh, good practice or uh, is seen in good practice, a normal EEG. 
Um, but when the patient is having discharges or they're having some kind of abnormal EEG activity, it is evident to the, the technologist on the um, on the screen as they're looking at it, and they can tell by looking at those what different classification or types of seizures the patient may be having. Okay. Well, we have a question for you, uh, Lou, from Philadelphia, and the question is, could you tell me how accurate do you believe the EEG is in predicting or diagnosing a person with epilepsy? Um, there, epilepsy as a disease is a clinical diagnosis. The EEG is uh, a part of that diagnosis. When a patient is worked up for epilepsy, they undergo many different tests. The EEG is one of those tests. However, it's an imperative confirmation for the diagnosis of epilepsy, um, and it's highly uh, accurate um, uh, in most cases to look at epilepsy and to either rule it in as a diagnosis or rule it out as a diagnosis. Um, now, it may take several different EEGs. As I said earlier, sometimes a patient with epilepsy may have a normal EEG. That doesn't necessarily mean they do or do not have an, uh, epilepsy or a seizure disorder. Um, but the physician may order an, an EEG, for instance, every six months uh, just to monitor um, where, the, where the patient is at with their, um, their seizure disorder. Um, so it's a vital part of the entire workup of a patient with a seizure disorder. It's one part of the entire workup. But epilepsy is a clinical diagnosis. Therefore, as you're saying, the person could have an EEG that says they, they do not have epilepsy, but they do. Yes, they, they can have um, a, a normal EEG in the light of having epilepsy. Um, and there are many reasons why their EEG may be normal. Um, first of all, it may normalize just given drugs. If they if they've, uh, uh, have a seizure disorder and they're put on some kind of medication, the medication effect in and of itself may normalize their EEG. And, but that's, that's the other important part of the EEG is that it is detecting that that medication may be working for the patient. Yeah, and of course, there are some people. Now, like in my case, I had an accident where I hit my head so hard I ended up having brain surgery, and I had epilepsy prior to that. So I'm not going to be one of these people that stop taking their medication. But there are some young people that have seizures, and then as they get older, they do not. So, you know, that's why I feel it's so important to do this so you know what's going on. Right. Because to me, I assure you, it was very accurate every time that, that I ever had this done. And do you have people, Janice, ever call you directly at a bread and ask you where to go to have an EEG done? Um, I don't receive calls like that very often. Um, if I do receive a call for a referral, I would um, ask them to contact uh, the uh, American Clinical Neurophysiology Society, which is our um, sister physician group, um, for uh, for those referrals. Um, we do, though, I will say, take the opportunity, if you don't mind, to say that ABRIT also, um, in addition to the credentialing processes we have for technologists, we also have an EEG laboratory accreditation program. And we... Um, uh, this program is looking at outcomes and looking at the quality of the work done in those um, settings 
and some of the policies that govern those laboratories. Um, this is a relatively new program, so we have only accredited uh, 33 labs so far throughout the country. But this is something we're looking to expand. Well, and you know what, though, that, that is awesome you're doing that. That is. But right now we're going to go to break. If you just tuned in, we're talking to Janice Walbert and Lewis Call. The, Janice is the executive director of a Brett, and Lewis is a board member. We'll be right back with both of them. Don't go away. You're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, <laughs> she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Uh-huh. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, <laughs> no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. <laughs> Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. And I was just telling my two guests at the, at the break that how I first heard about the organization is really due to the passion of one man, Tony Quello, who was on the board prior to me and just spoke so highly of the group that, you know, I too wanted to get involved. So Janice, we'll, we'll talk to you. How, how did what did Tony bring to your organization? Well, um, I learned of Tony's passion for persons with epilepsy and other disabilities when he was scheduled to speak um, to a national gathering of EEG technologists in Washington D.C. several years ago. And at that time, 
Abbott was searching for a public member to serve on the board of directors. And after reading his bio, I wrote a letter to Mr. Coelho asking if I might have a word with him following his presentation. So, of course, his talk was incredibly inspiring, and his story is fascinating. So I made my way up to Tony to introduce myself, and I was extremely pleased to see that he had my letter in his hand. So I was able to sit down with uh, with Tony along with the Abrett president at the time and one of our physician board members to tell him a little bit about Abrett and ask if he might be interested in working with us towards some new initiatives. And one of those was to have our um, each of our examinations accredited through a national commission um, that certifies um, accrediting boards. And the other was to start an EEG laboratory accreditation program. And we were thrilled that he agreed. And over the next um, several years, Tony participated as we moved forward with with these efforts. And he brought the perspective of the patient, of the customer, of the consumer. And although, you know, I think healthcare has actually been moving in the direction for many years of looking at the services and the procedures through the eyes of a patient, Abbott was focused on the technologists and testing their abilities. And so um, Tony uh, came in and he he gave us a, a new perspective or a, a kind of shifted our perspective of the, this group of technologists and physicians that had this one dimension of view of the profession and the practice. And so um, we cre- I credit him for that. We, he, fairly, he really helped us um, change our perspective on some of these um, things we were moving in the directions we were moving. And he is a talented leader and a visionary who has a heart towards service. And so he was, his insights helped Abrett to develop the lab accreditation program, and he gave us this vision of an independently functioning board. Um, he helped us to see our profession from the outside, and perhaps um, his most valuable contribution was that for Abrett was that he opened the door for the EEG technologist to have a position on the Epilepsy Foundation Professional Advisory Board. And it is so important to be tied into the service organizations that support our patients and help them to find and receive excellent care. Well, you know what? That You did a great job recruiting him. Kudos to you sending him that letter, Janice. But I have to tell you what, you recruited a great person. You know, many of my listeners know Tony. He's been on the show many times. Um, but, you know, you all know that this is his ministry. He is all about all about epilepsy, as he is a person with epilepsy, but all about freedom for Americans with disabilities. And he is right now leading the charge for that ADA Restoration Act in Washington, D.C. Tony is really, really on it. Um, So you really had a great person on the board, and I'm really glad that he did that with the professional advisory board of the Epilepsy Foundation because... Next year, I will be the chair of the National Epilepsy Foundation. Yeah. So you can be sure I will be continuing on what what uh, Tony did. Now, Lewis, did you know Tony also? I didn't know Tony. Um, I, I attended the same uh, conference that Janice was talking about earlier and heard him speak at uh, at that conference. And that was such an inc- – it was probably one of the greatest meetings or conferences speaks conference speakers that asset has heard in many 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 years he brought down the house with his with his story and he introduced 
uh, I think the asset organization and the Abbott organization to uh, the patient's perspective. And somebody at his level with the accomplishments he's made in his political career over the years, this was extremely significant to um, our profession. And I think that was a fantastic uh, uh, opportunity to hear him. But I did not know him prior to that time, no. Yes, if you have not heard him speak, I'll tell you what, you missed out. He is, I've heard Tony's story so many times now in my life. If I could just... And no matter when he speaks, I still learn something new every time. You know, he is just a phenomenal, electrifying speaker. No if doubt I... about that. Could I just add one comment, yes. uh, Joyce? Yes. Um, for the listeners, um, Tony has been extremely, um, one of his newest projects has been the Epilepsy Walk that's coming up in uh, uh, the next couple of weeks in Washington, D.C. This was one of his uh, big pro- projects, and for anybody that's interested, uh, it's a phenomenal um, um the uh, Epilepsy Foundation of America sponsors the Epilepsy Walk in Washington, D.C., which is a, an advocacy program for patients with this disability, and I just wanted to bring that up because that's his, one of his pet projects now. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because it is coming up right at the end of March here, and if you have not registered yet, you can go to epilepsyfoundation.org and register because this is the second year, the first year of that walk. Well, I'll be a lot better because the first year of that walk, if you recall anyone that was there, I was in a wheelchair because I had an accident and had a broken leg. Wow. But I was not going to miss the walk. So I did in a wheelchair. This year I I don't have the wheelchair. Uh, I'll be walking in it, but I'm going to tell you what. Being walking down Constitution with 5,000 people with epilepsy, wow, what a feeling. Yeah, and Tony was the leader, and, you know, he just has done so many great things for the foundation. So, Tony, we love you. Let me tell you that right now. We do. We love you. Lewis, many people are concerned about obtaining all this education that you talked about earlier. So one more time, I'm wanting to know at uh, Abrett, what are we doing to make sure people get the proper certification? Well, as Janice <clears throat> spoke earlier, Abret, the, the mission of Abret is credentialing. Um, Abret's job is um, to uh, credential people that have been through basic education in uh, EEG, evoked potential, epilepsy monitoring, and interoperative, um, interoperative neurophysiological monitoring. So um, once the, pers- once the um, technologist has attained their, their basic educational process or gone through their ed- basic educational process, educational process, they can then um, volunteer to sit through the ABRIT examination. The ABRIT examinations are established to be a part of showing that a person or demonstrating that a person has met certain professional criteria within certain criteria within the profession to deem them a, a somewhat com- or a competent uh, individual to practice the skills that they have learned. Um, it's part of a bigger picture of competency, um, but it's, a, it's, it's one of those steps. Um, and we really endorse this. We're endorsing this now throughout the profession um, as the uh, hallmark of, of demonstrating competency as a technologist in this field. 
It's extremely important. Human resource departments are now beginning to, are now um, looking at the ABRED credential as um, as a premier credential in hiring practices. Uh, they want people who are um, who are credentialed. It's it, it, it's 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 better for the technologist to to gain this credential from uh, a job standpoint. But it also shows to the public. It gives the public the idea and the patient population the understanding that somebody that this person that's working with them has obtained a peer-reviewed credential, and that's what's important. Wow, that is awesome. Well, you know what? I mean, again, I will be telling this news to everyone everywhere. But I wanted to ask you, Janice, since you have this great board member on here right now, what can you tell us about the board at ABRET? Um, Well, ABRET offers um, three credentials and is adding a fourth credential in 2008. We have the registered EEG technologist, registered evoked potential technologist, the Certified Neurophysiologic Intraoperative Monitoring Technologist, and our new credential which be, will be an advanced practice examination for registered EEG technologists who are focused on epilepsy and long-term monitoring. So um, as I, and as I alluded to earlier, Abbott also accredits EEG, EEG laboratories that have shown they meet standards and do excellent work. So the board is made up of working technologists managers and educators who have experience and expertise in these areas. There are also three um, neurologists with expertise in clinical neurophysiology serving on ABRET. And we are fortunate to have Ms. Joyce Bender now as our new public member. And I am very honored to be that, that new public member, but I can tell from seeing all the activity there, that it seems you've got a board that really likes you a lot there, Janice. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Not very many boards of my own where everyone lets me know when someone's birthday is. <laughs> <laughs> Janice has been the she's the she's the cement that holds everything together. She's she's she makes this board what it is. Well, you know what? That's what it's all about. It's really not about the level of the people. I always say it's not about the level. It's not about their credentials. It's also about do they have passion for the organization? Because at the end of the day, that's what you need. Without that passion, it won't matter. You won't get anywhere. And if you just joined us right now, I want to tell you we have two great guests today. We have Lewis Call, who is on the board of Abret, and Janice Walbert, who is the executive director. And if you just joined in, you can go back and listen to the show that will be archived on voiceamerica.com and Bender. Consult.com. So if you know anyone with epilepsy or anyone interested in a career and the areas we've talked about, make sure you tell them about this show and go back and listen. Right now, before we end the show, we're going to go to break. You are listening to Joyce Bender, a woman with epilepsy, on voiceamerica.com, where disability matters. We'll be right back with Janice and Lewis Don't go away.
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. In the great scheme of things, a minute isn't all that much, unless you happen to have a stroke. All of a sudden, those minutes count. Minutes that could mean losing your ability to talk, move, or walk. Which is why, if you can get help in time, your stroke can be treated. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face. If you experience this, call 911 immediately. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. VoiceAmerica.com if you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back. We're talking to Janice Walbert, Executive Director of Abret, and Board Member Lewis Call. And we are so delighted to have them with us, and I just joined the board Again, if you've never heard of this organization before, it stands for the American Board of Registration of Electroencephalographic and Evoked Potential Technologists, and we are honored to have them on with us today. Once again, what is your website, Janice? It's abret.org, A-B-R-E-T dot org. Abret.org. Okay, well... I wanted to talk to you about a few more things, but you were talking about this great board you had right before we went to break. Uh, what do you think is the greatest issue your board is dealing with this year, Janice? Mm, wow. Let's see. Well, I think it's um, right now it's juggling all the projects we have in the air while maintaining the programs that we have up and running. and. As always, it's finding the right mix of professionals with the passion. We've mentioned that so many times today, and it's so true. These people that we uh, want to connect with, they have the passion for building up our profession through competency testing and recognition of excellence to benefit the patients and the neurology community. Yes. Yeah, that's so true, Janice, because I tell people, you know, you have people that can spend their time uh, whining and complaining about issues and things and how they'd like it to be. But, you know, the big picture is helping the people with disabilities that we're working with. That right. is the big picture. And that's why you need people with passion that really want to see change. That's, that's really what you need. And, and I agree with you. I can imagine how busy you are. And, Lewis, once again, in case some young person who's graduating from college or has an associate's degree from a community college is listening to the show right now and is thinking, gee, how could I find out more information on how to get this education and then a certification, what should they do? Well, the education um, can be the best 
source I can give you for the education process is the ASET, A-S-E-T, uh, website, ASET.org. Um, and um, the ASET organization is the professional arm of this profession. And they will, they have a list of the various training programs and schools that provide formal education in the field of electroneurodiagnostic technology. ABRET, um, for those that are, are already through the educational process, um, the ABRET or, um, website that Janice mentioned earlier can provide information regarding the testing process and the credentialing process. Um, the ABRET website has all of the necessary information, the times, the dates, um, the qualifications for uh, the um, Part 1 and Part 2 of the EEG and evoke potential examinations and the, continu- the uh, certification in uh, IONM and uh, long-term monitoring. Okay, one more time. That website is A-S-E-T dot O-R-G. That's for the education. Asset.org. You know, and if you're listening, check it out. Get involved. This is a great profession to get involved with that you maybe were not familiar with before. And, you know, take time to check it out and move forward. So now, Janice and Lewis, let me tell you about these last two questions. I ask everyone who has been on the show for the past four years these last two questions. So we'll start with you, Janice. You have already accomplished a lot, both of you, in your life, and I'm sure many things that you're proud of. But, Janice, what would you say is your personal greatest accomplishment? Um, well, the thing that comes to mind right now is my, my proudest accomplishment professionally is to have had the opportunity to teach EEG students and neurology residents um, to share my knowledge, but more importantly, to hopefully have instilled the commitment to professionalism, which I believe includes um, the pursuit of competency and the expectation of excellence. That's what I'm going to say for that question. (laughs) That's a tough question. Yes, it is. Uh, it is, but I think that is a great accomplishment, what you just cited. And it, I mean, that's something you should be very proud of because it impacts so many people that will impact so many other people. So that is a great accomplishment. How, how about you, Lewis? What would you say is your personal proudest accomplishment? Well, I think like Janice, I think my proudest professional accomplishment was sticking with and recognizing this field as a career and a profession. Um, it's been a very exciting profession for for my life, and there's no way that I would go outside of it. I've enjoyed every part of it, and I think the proudest thing that I that I have is is as Janice says, is being able to teach and provide uh, people that are motivated and interested in this profession the opportunity to show them what's available to them. I've watched so many. Uh, students get excited about and motivated about uh, this profession and what they can do and how they can really, really help people. Um, and that's so important. So um, like Janice, I, I've, I've totally enjoyed um, more than anything else in watching technologists grow in, the, in this field. Okay. And uh, before I ask the last question, for both of you from uh, a listener in North Dakota, how about that? North Dakota email question. Okay, good for you, North Dakota. The question is, 
Uh, what would you say is to you the most important thing about uh, Abret? The most important thing about mm-hmm. Abret? Mm-hmm. Uh, the growth of Abret's been phenomenal. Um, we've gone from a, a, a small testing um, a committee to a huge organization now. And I think that the greatest thing about Abret is what they have given back to this profession. Um, we all want qualified, educated uh, healthcare professionals when we go for our own healthcare or those of our, our loved ones. And what Abret provides is the, the, the avenue whereby people can get credential to provide competent um, uh, skills to the healthcare or to the patients that they serve in the healthcare community. Um, this is what we've tried to do. This is what Abbott does its best at, and um, I think that's the greatest uh, thing that Abbott does. Well, that sort of leads into our last question. I want to make sure I leave you both time to answer this last question. So, uh, starting with you, Lewis, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Um, I think that it's when you know when we enter when we go in for any kind of health care um, for both ourselves and our, um, our our loved ones. We want to make sure, as I said earlier, that the people that we are dealing that are dealing with our health care are competent to do what they're doing. And this is what Abbott does. And I think that it's important for technologists to realize that um, their professional credentialing is more than just sitting for a test. It's showing to the community that they have made a commitment to themselves as a professional as well as to the patient to do the best possible thing they can do within this profession for that patient. And how about you, uh, Janice? What, what would you like to leave with our listeners today? Well, if you are a healthcare provider in any arena, I would encourage you to become engaged in your profession. And if you are a patient which we all are at one time, right, mm-hmm. seek and expect quality care. Mm. Oh, that is so important. One thing I noticed about both of you is that you both love what you do. And you know what I always say? The people who are the most successful in life are people that love what they do and love their jobs. And I would have to say you both come across in that way. Am I right about that, Lewis? Absolutely. How about you, Janice? I love it, and we're honored to be here and share this message with you and your, your, your listeners. Well, I am honored to have had both of you on the show today. One more time, in case anyone has a question, uh, Janice, what is the website for Abret? Our website is abret.org. Abret.org. And, Lewis, if they want to obtain education information, that website is? ASET.org. ASET.org. I am delighted to have had both of you on the show today. Janice Walbert, Executive Director at Abret and Board Member Lewis Call. I want to say as a woman with epilepsy, thank you both for what you're doing in this country. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you. And thank you both for joining us. You have been listening to Joyce Bender, a woman with epilepsy, on voiceamerica.com, where disability really does matter. We'll see you next week. 
Bye-bye. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.